0: what does this mean? Martin Luther asked that question 500 years ago to help regular people connect to the Christian journey. In the next few minutes, the pastors of Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul will talk about some of the Bible lessons that we read in church, connecting a 2,000-year-old book to real life in the 21st century. Welcome to What Does This Mean? I'm Pastor Javen Swanson.
1: I'm Pastor Lois Palmeyer,
0: And I'm Pastor Bradley Schmaling. We decided to do this podcast because sometimes we think the Bible is really clear and easy to understand, and other times it's not so much. And we want you to know that we also struggle uh, with reading the Bible and making sense of it, and we hope that these conversations that we will have um, together will help make the Bible a little easier for you to understand, too. It is now the second Sunday of Easter. Actually, we should probably note that, that we've
2: moved now into a new liturgical season. We've completed Lent and Holy Week, and now we're in the season of Easter, which lasts for 50 days. Um, It ends on Pentecost, which means 50 days, Um, and the Easter season—I've always kind of liked this—the Easter season is seven weeks, which in the Bible, seven is the number for completion, and, you know, the seven seven days of creation, or six days of creation, and the seventh God rested. So seven is like the perfect number. So the Easter season is seven times seven. So it's like the really— perfect season. And the point of the season is that we're to celebrate the joy of the resurrection for a full 50 days.
1: So remember, I'll keep saying Christ is risen. Happy Easter for all 50 days, and you have to respond nicely to me. Christ
2: is risen indeed.
1: Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, then let's take a look at the readings for the second Sunday of Easter. We'll do this in three parts with a little music between our reflections. During that break, we invite you to run an errand if you need or take a break. We'll be here when you get back with the next part. Javen, you have the first reading. Why don't you give us a little background?
0: Our first reading is from Acts chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. Usually, our first reading is from the Hebrew scriptures, or what Christians have sometimes called the Old Testament, but during the season of Easter, our first readings will be coming from the book of Acts. Acts is actually part two of the Gospel of Luke. Um, Scholars are pretty much in agreement that the same person who wrote the Gospel of Luke also wrote uh, the Acts of the Apostles, which really takes us from Christ's resurrection and ascension into the future. Right away in the book of Acts, we hear that the resurrected Jesus tells his disciples, you shall be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And really, the book of Acts kind of follows that outline. It starts with the disciples preaching the gospel in and around Jerusalem, and then they expand out into Judea and Samaria, and then finally the gospel moves into the broader world. Today, we have the apostles preaching the gospel in Jerusalem, and the religious authorities are angry about it. And now they've been called before the Sanhedrin, which is sort of like, think of them like the church council. They're like a council of religious authorities in Jerusalem, and that's where the reading starts today. Pastor Bradley, would you read this for us?
2: Sure. When they had brought the apostles, they had them stand before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior, that he might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those
0: who obey him. Thank you, Pastor Bradley. Um, And the very next verse— we read that the council was enraged, and they wanted to kill the apostles. And then there's a Pharisee in that council named Gamaliel who actually warns against punishing them severely. He says, leave them alone because if this plan or this undertaking is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. In that case, you may even be found fighting against God. And so the apostles end up getting flogged and then sent out, and then they keep on preaching the gospel. So this story reminds me of a documentary called This Obedience. It's actually about Anita Hill, who was the pastor for many years just up the road at St. Paul Reformation Lutheran Church, and she had felt called to ministry for a long time, but she was a lesbian woman, and Prior to 2009, our denomination, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, had a policy that gay people in relationships could not be ordained. And her congregation, St. Paul Reformation, felt that she was called to be their pastor. She felt called to be a pastor, and they said, we have to follow God, not human authorities. And so they called... Pastor Anita, to be their pastor. Of course, they were punished for that as a congregation. They ordained her anyway. In 2001, they called it an extraordinary ordination, an extraordinary ordination. I love that. And I guess the point for me is they felt that they were following the call of the gospel, and sometimes that means disobeying authority. And I want to point out that in 2009, the church came around and agreed with St. Paul Reformation and with all those in the church that had been calling for this change for a long time. And it makes me think of Gamaliel, right, who said, if this is of human origin, it will fail. But if this is of God, we can't stop them. It was sort of, for me, like a vindication of those who had been at the forefront leading this change for a long time.
2: I think one of the things that strikes me about these texts in Acts, is remembering who these disciples were just a matter of days before. They are, uh, well, one, when they're with Jesus, they never get the point. They always misunderstand. They get it wrong. And then when Jesus is crucified, they lock themselves behind a door and they're terrified  … of the council. They're terrified of the Roman authorities. And now here they are standing up to those very same authorities. So this is like a sign of the power of resurrection to give us conviction and words and courage to speak about what is true. And I think it's often true – that that courage and strength comes from outside of us but also with us together. I feel like the spirit moves us to this places of strength together. Last week when we talked about the
1: Easter vigil and the line that we say as we sprinkle people with baptismal water reminding them of their baptism uh, Christ is risen, death has no more dominion over you. I feel as if these apostles had been in the Easter vigil in the dark, and then finally had the sense of death doesn't have any power over us anymore. If you want to try and kill us, we've seen that happen too, but Christ is risen, and we have power to proclaim good news.
0: Right. I saw something going around Facebook um, recently, kind of among all my church nerd friends, and it's a quote by Reverend Barbara Brown Taylor, who's a preacher and a preaching professor, a preacher-teacher, she had this quote, the only clear line I draw these days is this, when my religion tries to come between me and my neighbor, I will choose my neighbor. Jesus never commanded me to love my religion. Which I think is just a fantastic, I don't know what the context for that quote was, but as I was thinking about this text, I saw that, and I just thought, that really is what this is about. It's about choosing to love God and love your neighbor, even if your religion tells you, something different. There's one other thing I want to point out in this text that I think we need to talk about, which is this verse, um, the God of our ancestors raised up Jesus whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. And I think often this verse has been used to accuse Jews of killing Jesus. And I think it's really important to say that the ones who killed Jesus were the Roman authorities. It was the political imperial establishment. And actually the Jewish religious leaders in Jerusalem who were kind of complicit in Jesus's execution were appointed by the Roman authorities. These were like puppet religious leaders who were just an extension of the Roman Empire. And so I think it's important that we say that the ones who killed Jesus weren't the Jews. It was the imperial political establishment in Rome.
2: Right, because in the story here, it's Jews talking to Jews. So, I mean, the apostles are Jewish. So when they say you, they don't mean they're a different religion, because they experience themselves as all part of the same religion. But this is the dynamic that you were talking about, is that within our religions, whether it's Judaism or Christianity or any, there are times when we have to stand up and and challenge it because religions can turn into systems that just are interested in perpetuating themselves rather than than being broken open to speak
0: truth. And so we're called to challenge that. Why don't we take a little break and we'll come back for our next reading.
1: Welcome back. Our second reading for the second Sunday of Easter is from Revelation. Throughout the Easter season in this year, uh, we have a three-year cycle, and during this third year, we read Revelation texts during Easter. Revelation was written, we think, by someone named John. We don't know for sure, is that John the Apostle or John the one who wrote the Gospel of John or a different person named John or somebody who was a friend of one of those Johns. We're not really sure, but he calls himself John. And he was imprisoned on an island out in the Mediterranean. We often remember that Paul's letters were written from uh, prison to his churches. John is also writing a letter to his churches uh, or to the churches. But Many people are afraid of re- reading Revelation because it's so weird. There's so many weird parts. Today we're going to read a part that's a little less weird, and um, I I think the season of Easter invites us into saying we can read the weird parts of Scripture and find we out something We should have a meaningful. season
2: where we just read... Weird texts from the Bible. Oh, man, we could have a whole year on that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There's plenty. That's why we're doing the podcasts. Pastor Jabin, would you read the text for us?
0: Sure. This is Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness— the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom priests serving his God and father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him even those who pierced him and on his account all the tribes of the earth will wail so it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty.
1: Thank you. Pastor Bradley was saying earlier that Easter is seven weeks or seven times seven days the sense of seven is this complete number and you'll see that a lot in Revelation a lot of descriptions of seven seven churches seven spirits seven lights uh, you'll you'll hear that regularly. And again, as Pastor Bradley said, seven is considered a holy number, a complete number, a sign of goodness. When we think of the seven spirits who are before God's throne, John's writing about, we don't know for sure what that means, but it it could mean the seven gifts of the Spirit that we receive at our baptism. It could mean anything. But I think the the main way of saying is complete, all the spirits that surround Jesus. A few minutes ago, Pastor Javen was talking about the power of the Roman Empire in uh, the crucifixion and in so many parts of the early church's history, they were coming into conflict with the Roman Empire. Many people think the book of Revelation is the sense of John trying to describe some conflict, some uh, big, major forces of evil versus good that are happening, and he's using images that seem obscure and bizarre to us, just apocalyptic is the word, but this almost science fiction kind of descriptions of beasts and monsters and things that are outside our reality. Was he just envisioning the Roman Empire as a big beast? Was he using some kinds of poetry or some kind of symbolism that we're not really sure we understand? And because of that confusion for us, many of us just throw it out. But really, when we think about it, whether we understand every single image, what seven means, what the beast means, what the signs of this or that mean, I think it's important to say Revelation is writing about a power that is so strong, it looks like it's going to take over everything good. And I think in our culture, we really uh, understand something about that, to say we're, we have powers that seem so strong and so powerful that it's going to wipe out everything good. The power of climate change or the power of corporate greed or the power of alienation or the sense of dissatisfaction that no one is connected with their neighbors anymore. Any Anything that seems it's too big, I don't know how we'll overcome that. Revelation is a piece of good news to us to say, even when it looks impossible to overcome, Jesus lives. There's, there is good news. God is still in control. And over and over and over again, if you keep that image in the back of your head, that what this story is really telling or what this letter is really describing is even when things get abysmally awful for us, God is still in charge. God will conquer. God will win. Death has no more dominion over
0: us. For me, it's that line, I am the Alpha and the Omega who is, who was, who is to come. I just find so much hope in that, that God has been forever in the past. God will be forever in the future. God is now. Our entire past and future is held in God's hands so whatever we are facing right now ultimately won't prevail. Um, I, I just find so much hope in that. I actually have a little tattoo of Alpha and Omega with who is, who was, who is to come, um, kind of wrapped around my wrist, actually, as if to say my entire life is held in God's hand or God is holding me around the wrist, and no matter what I face— or our world is facing, God is the Alpha and the Omega. Death and, has
1: no more dominion yes. over you.
0: And I, th- I just think that's so hard to remember.
2: Uh, at least or I'm just speaking for myself. Is I think I have to figure everything out. I take seriously the call to change, not just myself, but change the world around me. And when I see that my efforts or my hopes are not coming into fruition. In fact, sometimes things feel like they're going the other way, like that we're moving backwards. I I can feel despair about that and want to just withdraw from it all and say, I'm just going to curl up in my little corner, and I'm um, not going to be the person who I thought I was, which is to change and be about change. I'm going to withdraw. So this sense that God is at work and uh, on the move, maybe in ways that I can't see, and this Revelation text helps to remember that, and my guess is that the first people who heard this read— were feeling a lot of despair about what was going on in the world and needed a reminder that it's not over yet.
1: It's not over yet. And that the description that you had of the despair or the times that we really feel like I'm powerless and it's so much bigger than I am and we're going backwards. I think John himself must have experienced he was imprisoned and we learn later was martyred for his faith. He he also would have shared that that despair, but had this hope to say, the God who was, the God who is, the God who will be is on my side. We have um, in Revelation several texts that sound like hymns, and they probably were early liturgy or they were used as early liturgy. And one of our earliest creeds that we say is, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. And John says that in this text. That is the Alpha and the Omega. This sense that he was, he is, he is to come. The firstborn of the dead. Christ had had lived, but he died, but he was raised again, and he will live forever. This ruler of all the powers. That sense of being able to cling to that in those moments of despair, or those moments when we are pretty sure there can be no good resolution. John is saying, hold on, there is resolution. God is stronger than we are.
0: Pastor Bradley, you preached a sermon one time that I remember about, um, you know, human beings might well wipe ourselves off the earth with climate change and all the destruction that we're doing to our planet. That might wipe us out. But when we're gone, God will continue to be here, and the earth will probably reset itself. It will reach a new equilibrium, and God will be active in whatever comes in the future. It may be a future without us, which is terrifying to me. But But never a future without God or without the creative act going forward. Right. And so when I think about who is, who was, who is to come, it may even be beyond humanity, which I think is something to keep in mind.
1: And in the midst of even that kind of despair or, or fear, we know that God is love, and God's love is what holds us together as people in community. God's love calls us together into community. Pastor Bradley said before that we need, need to be with one another like the, the apostles were, but we gather with one another, we gather with those churches wherever they are, and we experience God's love even now. That love will last forever.
0: Amen. Let's take another little break and we'll come back in a minute.
2: Welcome back. Our gospel for the second Sunday of Easter is John 20, verses 19 through 31. I'm not sure there's a lot of background to give here other than just a reminder that where we are in the story is that uh, the crucifixion has occurred on Friday and – in John, Mary has gone to the tomb looking for Jesus and finds it empty but then runs into the gardener and is sad about that. And turns out that the gardener is Jesus. And so she has the first experience of the risen Lord and goes back and says, I have seen the Lord. And then this story picks up with the scaredy-cat disciples who have... Didn't listen to the woman. That's right. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) was that out loud? Sorry. (laughs) But it's right. It's right. I mean, the first preachers in all of the Gospels are women, and the men are locked up behind behind the door. So that's where we begin. Lois, would you read the story?
1: I would. This is John 20, verses 19 through 31. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name.
2: So we know this story as the story of Doubting Thomas. And uh, this this reading comes up every single year on the Sunday after Easter. And there are very few Sundays where we repeat readings. I think you Christmas we read the same one, even Easter we're reading different different accounts, different accounts, but this Sunday gets
0: this special uh, special story. because so, usually the readings are in a three year cycle, so we would get the readings every three years, but this comes this every comes year every the, yeah.
2: single year um I think we love doubting Thomas, yeah, um, we understand him right, we relate to him, but yeah, right, because he is looking for proof or. An experience that Jesus is alive, um, but there's so much in this story to pull apart. You could almost have this story play out over the seven weeks of Easter. Mm-hmm. I think, um, because one interesting piece here is you have to remember that the the gospel writers tell the story differently. There were probably different streams of storytelling that were going on in the early church. One community told. One story in another community told another story and in some stories, the Holy Spirit uh, doesn't come until Pentecost when they're all together in the upper room and the tongues of fire and the sound of the wind. But John doesn't have that story at all. For John, the Spirit comes to disciples on Easter Day. There's no break. They get it right away. Jesus shows up, he breathes on them, which is this way of saying, I'm giving my breath what's inside of me to you. Now you take it in. And so he's kind of saying, we're the same now. You know, maybe I was different before, but now after the res- resurrection, we are we're all in this together. We're all sent together. So I feel like the experience of The risen Jesus now comes through other people Um, and that I think the writer of John wanted us to know that is just as important as having this grand experience. Because I think some of us want to have some big experience of God and because we haven't, we think maybe it's not for us or maybe it's not true or something's wrong with us, mm-hmm. you know, that there's somebody else must be more spiritual because they had this mountaintop experience. But for most of us, we don't have the mountaintop experience. We're kind of sure and unsure and would like a little more, but the proof is in one another, in being together.
0: And that's the only way any of us experience the risen Christ today is in other people. I think sometimes we hear this story as Thomas being scolded for not having faith enough to believe without seeing. But I actually think what stands out to me in the story is that Jesus gives Thomas what he needs to believe. Thomas says, unless I see the wounds, unless I can put my finger in the wounds, and then Jesus comes and does that for Thomas. Um, Maybe one of the lessons here is that Jesus does give us what we need to experience the risen Christ, and the the focus isn't on the scolding, but more on the grace of God given to us so that we too can have an experience of the resurrected Christ.
2: Right. The story never names Thomas as Doubting Thomas. That's what he gets named in the tradition, but the story itself doesn't ever judge him. He's just not there. He just happens to be— out. Maybe he's the one disciple who's not so afraid. He's actually out
0: on the other side of the door already. Or he was just getting the takeout.
2: <laughs> That's right, right, right.
0: <laughs> They're hungry. We're interested to hear from all of you what you think this means. Um, we hope you'll drop us a note at pastors at org. If you want to know more about Gloria Day Lutheran Church, our web address is GloriaDayStPaul.org. We also want to say thanks to Paul friesen Carper for the music you heard on this podcast. Join us for worship every Sunday at either 8.15 or 10.45 a.m. with Sunday school for all ages at 9.30 a.m. Thank you so much for joining us today. Know that God is with you, God loves you, and God will provide what you need for today.
2: This has been What Does This Mean? A podcast created by Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. You can find Gloria Day online at www.gloriadaysaintpaul.org. This podcast has been produced by Minnesota Podcasting, and they can be found online at www.mnpodcasting.com.